Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi everyone, welcome to a new episode of Be Good and Rewatch It. Uh, we are currently working our way through uh, M. Night Shyamalan's... Man, there's a name for his for this trilogy. It's I had it written down. Some, what, what was the train that he not... was on in Un- Unbreakable? Oh, is that what it is? It's called Sabre for that train? I believe so. Huh. I can't remember. The Unbreakable anyway, train. <laughs> <laughs> the Amtrak. Something like that. Anyway, the Amtrak trilogy? The East Rail 177 tr- trilogy. There you wow. go. There Heroes you go. of the Acela universe. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we are here to talk about Split, the second in uh, the three of those, the third one being Glass, which came out last uh, weekend and made a whole lot of money. Um, and actually, this one uh, did too. Weirdly, Unbreakable made no money. Uh, a Split made a lot of money. Glass made a lot of money. Um, I am joined to talk about Split, uh, with, uh, that was the voice of Rob Zachney. Hello, Rob. Hello, hello. My Acela hero power is to be utterly silent in the quiet car. <laughs> <laughs> Natalie Watson, uh, what's your power? Where's my movie? Ooh, uh, my power is... Slowly um, amassing Kingdom Hearts lore to prepare yes. to spit it out at a later date. <laughs> Yes. On a train next to a... In the quiet car, no <laughs> yeah, less. in the quiet car. And so car. then, what Goofy did was he just got the others to believe in themselves. And then Mickey, but it's not really Mickey, it's more like he's Jesus. Anyway, Mickey. God. Uh, and Austin Walker. Free drinks. That is my power. I go to the the bar, the person who comes around with drinks. I'm like, can I get a, a gin and tonic? And then they give it to me and they forget to ask me for money. It's good. It's so a you're good power. Oh, so it's not. <laughs> so, so you, so you, you you're able to just quietly cheat plate establishments out of money. It's not like they're gifting it to you. They're just forgetting well, to take the money. I like to think of it as a gift. <laughs> maybe they're like, I just forgot. Maybe. No, they don't come back. They never come back for it, and no one knows. And they any. send you a wink. Austin Walker's superpower, okay. much like M Night Shyamalan, will rationalize whatever's in front of them that yep. makes them look the best. Absolutely. <laughs> Oh. Uh, Split is a, a 2016 <laughs> horror film from M. Night Shyamalan. I thought you were going to say Split is a bad movie. <laughs> and I was like, yep. <laughs> Split is a complicated movie. Um, oh, boy. Uh, it's about the kidnapping of three uh, young women by uh, a man named Kevin, who's played by uh, actor James uh, McAvoy. Um, he's a man with a disassociative identity disorder. Um, we uh, it was we used to call that multiple personality disorder. Now we call it uh, DID, disassociative uh, identity disorder. Uh causing him to have sort of uh, 23 distinct distinct identities. These identities have different names, personalities, vocal inflections. They they share the same face as Kevin, um, and they're aware that other identities exist, um, but consider, consider themselves to be distinct of their own. Um, one is a nine-year-old boy. Another is an older authoritarian woman. Uh, another is a clean of stuff man with a preference for exceptionally young women. Um, it sort of runs a spectrum. Uh, uh, we, we get... Uh, 
a window into uh, a handful of them, but uh, there are 23 identities sort of um, circling around in Kevin. Uh, Kevin's been working with a therapist for more than a decade, but uh, this therapist theorizes these identities uh, not are just part of someone's psychology um, or identity, but also can cause uh, physiolo- physiological changes as well. Um, one of the examples used in the film is that uh, someone uh, like the equivalent of Kevin, sort of the, the original, um, could be blind, but then have a identity that can see, and then the eye would develop sight because it believes that it can see. Um, in the past, Kevin's identities have referred to a 24th identity, uh, referred to as the beast, um, but it's kind of seen as sort of like a, a myth, uh, even uh, between the relationship of Kevin and his therapist, um, and sort of the central mystery of the film is whether uh, the quote-unquote the beast um, is going to finally arrive and what exactly uh, that means. Um, Split, whew, okay, this yeah, is such uh-huh. an interesting movie we, to rewatch. Uh, we um, should say up top that this is going to be like real, we're going to have to have discussion about uh, mental illness and about abuse and including implied sexual abuse. Yeah, and sexual abuse to uh, children. To um, children, yeah, specifically. So like, and self harm, and also <laughs> self harm. Yeah, totally. Yeah. All key things throughout this movie. Um, so it's gonna be. A, not like I, I'm not saying that we're gonna go into it. Uh, yeah, well, it's heavy, just more sort of like, like know that heads for up. the whole conversation as opposed to. I don't think it'll be the kind of thing where it's like, and now we're gonna have a discussion that like you can skip past. I think it's just going to. Right. It's going to be part of the holistic conversation of of this movie um it's so i when i first saw this movie it remains an effective movie in the way that m not Shyamalan is incredibly good at building tension i think it's a movie that um in a lot of ways works really well in the moment of making you all the things that m night has proven to be very good at in his career when he wants to scare you and make you tense and make you flinch um but especially upon a rewatch where you lose a lot of the dramatic tension of a horror film because you know what's coming. And so upon second viewing, a lot of it is doing a second reading in the way the second readings are always very informative is that you, you lose the element of surprise and then you're suddenly able to look at the, the work in a much wider manner. And the, the movie just, even if individual parts uh, remain sort of like really well, uh, filmed in, in a way that Shyamalan just has a knack for. Uh, it's man, it's a it's a movie whose themes just do not come together at all, and it just completely leverages like a real life disorder in a really irresponsible way that like makes it at least was for me impossible to really enjoy on a second play a second watch um, once you're like fully aware of what it was or wasn't trying to say by the end. Yeah, uh, you know, so this is my first time through it. Obviously, is this I everyone had... else's first time? Same. Am I the only yeah. one that's actually doing the, the be good and rewatch? The actual rewatch? Yeah, yeah totally. <laughs> uh, Unbreakable, I saw. Right, uh, that's something. But for you, it's yeah. This is definitely. What well, is I, I, I like specifically with the horror genre? There is there is something very specific about the rewatch aspect. Yeah. Um, so I just wanted to make it totally, clear totally. with everyone that like this is a first rewatch for some people, or first watch for some people, and a rewatch for me, just because of the specific way that horror manipulates your own personal psychology. Um, totally, it's just it's just it's just interesting how that plays out on a on a so second I, viewing. I will say that like, there are things that I can say were well done in terms of like location design and and stuff like that, and like even some shots. But like I I just had a bad time watching this movie all the way through, largely for because a lot of the things that I think we'll talk about today kept me from 
ever sinking into my seat and letting the film work on me. I was so hyper aware of the ways in which Shyamalan was using abuse and mental illness uh, as as fulcrum points for where where that tension was supposed to be coming from that I could never quite find how myself much, I, in a full audience position. How much of that is because you were aware of the discussion around Split or how much is of that because as watching Split you were I mean you were putting on critic hat and Right, I always, like there's, there's everything a, there's I watch. There's a difference in, in like watching this. the way you process a piece of media, especially for us as critics. Like, yeah, you can watch a movie as a. I mean, here's what I'll say: is I think right. the dialogue is bad. Also, okay. I think the dialogue is bad. It's like there. I've written down so many lines here where they're just things like there's a bit very early on where someone says like uh, it is it is the therapist talking to Barry. Uh, which is the altar who is a fashion designer. Mm-hmm. And she says, this is just the sort of thing Hamptons ladies would spend $15,000 on, which is not the way a person speaks. And so immediately, even from a craft level, I just wasn't in it. And I'll say to Patrick, like, I just, this is just how I watch stuff. Like, right. I don't have a different viewing perspective most of the time, unless it's like 2 a.m. and I have Netflix on and I'm like falling asleep. Um, but like- I, I, I was just saying, like, I do. Like, I yes, very much- right. Because, uh, which is fine. I want to be clear. Like I, I have that for music, for instance. Like there's plenty of songs that I listen right. to where I'm not deconstructing <laughs> the work, but like in film, in games, in literature, I have that. That is just my natural. Yeah, like with certain, usually with stuff I just want to enjoy for myself. I like I just turn that off and yeah. Uh, so I was just I just kind of establish where people were coming from in terms of like totally. how they view this film and, or just generally how they they view films in general. So anyway, uh, Natalie, uh, Rob, what about what about the two of you? Uh, yeah, this is also my first time watching it. Um, I knew vaguely, I mean, I knew that it was about someone with DID. Um, so that was kind of like my context for going into it. I will say that I like, I was tense throughout the movie, but mostly because I was like concerned. Like I was just like frustrated and like worried about where the the film was going to go and like worried about what was going to happen in a way that I wasn't like like I was worried about what it meant not like I'm worried about like the fate of these girls I was like I'm worried about like the fact that this exists like I'm worried about the fact of like where the movie goes the fact that this will exist in the world um so yeah it was it was uh like immediately I thought you know one thing that I thought was cool I guess is you know the idea that you don't you're not really sure where everything's taking place and then you kind of walk through the Philadelphia Zoo in that in the end segment like that was that was oh yeah I actually like that a lot yeah there is a that moment is really strong yeah that moment was really strong for me just like like because the whole time I'm like where the fuck is this taking place like this is such an obscure like anonymous like area um the underground and then seeing like the girl walk through the um the like cages and stuff like that was like very poignant for me um but it was just it was such a hard watch for me it was just yeah it was it was rough yeah i um my feeling about a lot of this movie is that it was a in many cases, well-crafted bit of filmmaking, with the exception of the writing. Like, I think it's a, I think it's a weak script. But like again, I think Shyamalan can direct a film effectively. I think that effect is used to 
almost like immoral ends in this case. Like I think this, I think this movie it troubles me on uh, levels that go beyond filmmaking. It is exploitative in a way that yes, that is maybe sometimes part and parcel of horror films, but I think this movie is very much trying to have it both ways with trying to be very serious about the film it's making, but then it is so heightened and then it is also adopting uh, wholeheartedly and embracing tropes of exploitation and kind of a leering male gaze that the film ends up really intensely turning me off in several places. I mean, like this movie didn't have to use a real life disorder. Yes, right. Yes, that's huge. Um, and and in reading, I'll, I'll end up linking some of these out to people, and I've you know I've linked some of these essays um, for our own reading. But like in in reading like responses from folks with DID or or folks who have um, dealt with other forms of of mental illness, you know, one of the things that they struggle with in their own reactions to the film is well, on one hand, it, the movie gets a lot right about the origins of DID, right, in which um, a lot of uh, folks that uh, have DID did have childhood trauma, often sexual childhood trauma, that leads to a the 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 brain having a defense mechanism of what ends up uh, the, the resulting being a DID. And this film, like, accurately to to the reactions of folks that I, I've read, like portrays that. But then what it does with that is is monstrous. And there's a world where if this by naming it DID and then also IDing the, the, the origins of DID for folks who actually uh, are dealing with that in real life and then to lead to the conclusion that this movie draws for you. Like by drawing from real life, like you, you then have to deal with the, the consequences and the responsibilities of that. And the movie just doesn't seem interested. It's interested in co-opting something yes. from mm-hmm. the headlines without like, let me just, <laughs> I'm going to read uh, this quote from, from M. Night. Um, there wasn't, there were a lot of uh, things written about the film afterwards, um, but not a lot of actual um, discussion with uh, the filmmaker sort of ahead of time. <laughs> but at uh, Nerdist, uh, uh, unfortunately, I don't know how to pronounce uh, her last name, uh, Christy uh, Puchko, um, who actually I follow on Twitter. She's a really, really interesting film critic who is constantly through her work. She is the one that is like, but hey, like putting up the finger right, right, um, right. in a way that reminds a lot of the work that we do here at Waypoint. And so she's a really good follow if you're looking for folks that are looking at often big blockbuster films that aren't always getting that critical eye. And she was uh, on the, uh, the the sort of the, the, the film or the press circuit for this movie and asked M. Night uh, about it. Um, and her first question was, uh, what's your response to the, the criticism of this movie? I'm paraphrasing uh, her, her question. And he says... Uh, Slightly off guard. I'm sure it's exhausting to do these press tours, but he did. The fact that he didn't have a well prepared yeah. statement is illustrative of mm-hmm. probably other problems priorities in the and yeah, 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 yeah. totally. Um, so Shyamalan says, uh, "Oh, first of all, uh, there has been almost none criticism. <laughs> it's been a little bit, and I totally understand that. But when you see the movie, there's really kind of a benevolent approach to this disorder. Really, kind of a talking point." People don't even know about the disorder, and it's a wonderful talking point on it. It obviously goes into fiction and totally somewhere else by the end of the movie, somewhere far off, but I've always been interested in disorders, psychology. Since I was in college. Why does it feel like Donald Trump wrote this? I fucking, wow. It feels like 
Let me finish. Oh. Let me finish. Okay, so that was the end. Okay. Okay. Since I was in college, I, my awkward pauses are his awkward pauses. Yeah, I'm trying to. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> Since I was in college, I'm very interested in this particular disorder, which more and more information has come out over the years. Incredibly poignant and moving. I would love more more people to know about it because I don't think a lot of people get diagnosed properly with the disorder. And in fact, I don't think the psychological field supports it in the way it should be supported. It's seen as this controversial or getting a lot of light but not accurate kind of thing. I personally believe in it 100%. I'm a big proponent in these individuals being treated properly. Uh, and then she also asks, uh, what is your responsibility to using a real life disorder? Which is a very poignant, yep. spot on question that you don't Pointed, normally get very, an actual answer yeah. to. Yeah. And he says that the facts are correct. For me, is to make sure it's complicated in its portrayal, that there's good, bad, that there's light. I don't know, the light is not an actual... Anyway, for me, it's a positive portrayal at the end of the day. Cough. James brought such humanity to the part. Both of us had known about the disorder. Even when I hired him, he was very much aware of the disorder. Um, I think oh, that, boy. like, in a lot of ways, helps explain yeah. a lot yeah. of the film, in which you have someone that did the Wikipedia research, yeah. which is like, it was an intro to uh, psych class. Yeah, like years figured ago. out, like oh, childhood disorder often sexual yep. in nature, split you know split identities, and 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 hits those bullet points, and and even gets in the bullshit. Uh, but while I want them to be treated properly, they're probably not yeah, getting diagnosed yeah. properly. True, that is that's that one hundred percent. That's why split point. is such a powerful diagnostic tool. <laughs> uh, if you match any of the twenty-three or twenty-four personalities uh, exhibited in this film, uh, and if your body chemistry changes, um, you may indeed have uh, DID. Working title twenty-three in me. Um, <laughs> the the. So like that perspective is in this movie in the in the character of the therapist, yeah. right? Who whose whole thing is like I'm trying to bring attention to this thing, um, and the the most frustrating thing, and I think we should we should lay out why we think it is like you know Rob, you said you know immoral at points, right? Like I think it's easy to be like this portrayal is bad, and for listeners maybe to not understand why we think why we go from it's an inaccurate portrayal to a harmful one. Mm-hmm. And so the the two big uh, uh, points that I want to hit that I think the, I mean, there's a bunch of uh, points to hit in general, but like the, two of the big ones for me, and I think that these are backed up by some of the, the pieces you linked to us, Patrick, in the prep for this. One is that people who have DID harm themselves. They don't harm other people. This is, this is, the, the most terrifying thing uh, about being diagnosed or knowing that there is something wrong with your brain is that you have to go tell somebody that. And in a world that thinks that you are a harmful, dangerous person, that is a very, very scary thing to do. And it leads lots of people and has historically led lots of people, not just with DID, but with mental illness in general, with, with you know a, a lot of different conditions. But to be afraid to go tell someone that because of the stigmatization around it. So there's a, there's, um, a, there's an essay from uh, the Mighty, which is a sort of community where people can self submit um, uh, essays about their own experiences with uh, mental health. Um, right. And someone who has DID wrote um, one part of the film that really upset me was when the therapist was killed. DID is recognized by professionals, but there's no denying resources and just basic training severely lacking in most parts of the world. Even within the medical community, people are divided about the validity of DID. Who's going to try and uh, who's going to want to try and work with these quote scary DID systems? Right. To say films like Split are quote just a movie or saying quote don't hurt anyone couldn't be further from the truth. 
upon my uh, using myself as an example again, I was admitted to one uh, psychiatric ward where the psychiatrist immediately picked up on our DID diagnosis and said DID doesn't exist. He told me I was quote clearly disturbed and lying for attention because I didn't get enough as a child. He literally said that uh, DID is quote the stuff of Hollywood movies. Right, and so which like, goes all the way back to Psycho, right? Psycho absolutely. is sort of yeah, like yeah, the yeah. original, um, uh, or it, and before that, it's. Uh, uh, Dr. Jekyll and, and Mr. Hyde, which I believe is sort of seen as like the originator of like fiction co-opting the first understandings of this, what eventually become DID. Right. The the second part of this ends up being less about DID for me and more about the portrayal of abuse and victims and what good victimship looks like. Um, so much of this movie is interested in what you should do if you are under threat or being abused or being held captive, and it models good victimhood by modeling the ways in which uh, kind of defensive victimhood leads to worse outcomes. Mm -hmm. The girls who try to get away are punished for it and end up dead, and the, and the one person- clothes. And lose their clothes, and the, and the camera fucking loves in this it. Film. It's like Don't worry. it's the fucking gross. These young twenty-two-year-olds like, are gonna lose their shirts at one point or another. Constantly, twenty-two-year-olds <laughs> playing seventeen or eighteen-year-olds, yeah. right? Like, yeah. uh, as much as the the plot can say, oh, this these women are losing their clothes because this character wants it. The way it's shot is very interested in in showing girls half dressed yeah. all the way through the movie, and and of course it ends up being tied to the big reveal at the end, which is. The lead, uh, Chloe, is that it? No, not, not Chloe. What is the character's name? Maybe it's Chloe. Um, I have it written down somewhere. Uh, Casey. Casey yeah. uh, is that she self-harms and, and self-mutilates and, like, cuts her body and, and scars herself um, as, a, as a coping mechanism. And that marks her as being what the Beast understands as being a good person. Because, because she's she broken. Been through shit. Which, because she's specifically broken. Because she's, quote, unquote, broken. Which, yeah. one, one... Uh, Self-harm is not the only sig a sign of abuse. Those other two girls could absolutely have gone through abuse. Abuse mm -hmm. is not something that you, there's no, there is no physical outward facing sign that is a, a single way to mark a history of abuse. Mm -hmm. um, and that's like super important to understand, especially as we go through the world in the middle of the Me Too movement, that like there is no single fucking like proof that someone has gone through abuse, sexual or otherwise. And then, and then two, like, there is something at the fucking root of this movie and Unbreakable that I cannot unpack, that I'm trying to unpack. And I guess we're going to see Glass and maybe they'll help me with this. But in Glass, we talked about the – or in, in Unbreakable, we talked about the the strange relationship between Mr. Glass and Bruce Willis's character, David David Dunn, mm -hmm. uh, as like one of them is, is invincible and – is like this this middle class or like working class schlub. The other is this like person who has been through lots of trauma, whose entire life was trauma, and who wants the world to recognize some deep, deep truth about the world that they're ignoring. This is a very similar motivation for the beast, right? When the beast is finally revealed, his entire motivation is like the only people who understand the truth are those who've been wounded or those who've mm -hmm. been harmed. Uh, and look at how powerful we, the people who have been harmed, really are. And I, there is an ideology here at play that I can't quite – that I don't know that M. Night Shyamalan understands. Like I don't think this is necessarily even a, a, a developed position. Mm -hmm. But there is a through line between these movies in which marginalized identities, abused it's about, identities – It's about suffering your like, place in the world, your identity. Yes. And, being, and they want to show and being, that they're and being fundamentally kind. broken in some way that somehow you warp to your – you're used to your – like – there, right, you, you, can't, you can't advantage. start. You yes. can't start putting things on a pin board and being like, 
I don't a see the A to B how, to C, but it, how it, it close is all are we connected. to the race card? Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. how close are we to weaponized uh, identities? And, and there's even some of that in the therapist character, who in her, her weird Skype talk is like, what if we could unlock the brain by way of... Yeah, no, no, no. It's like, it's seen as like something metahuman, like something, you know, that, that like aside from just being othered, like put on a pedestal of like the human's capability right. to to change itself. And I, I, I'll i just say like right now, I saw glass this past weekend and it gets worse with glass. Like that, like I won't spoil anything and we, we will talk about it next is week. Is it as much of a focus in glass or is there other shit for me to like latch on to? There's other shit. There's other shit. There's other shit. Okay, we'll talk about glass next time. We'll talk about glass next time. But, but, yeah, this was this is like this whole through line is what fucked me up so much throughout this movie is that like seeing this girl, you know, the flashbacks to her childhood of like like childhood abuse uh by her uncle which then she like goes and lives with um after her father passes away and the fact that oh my god, the fact that at the end of the movie when she's seen by the beast and he sees like her scars he like spares her or whatever and yeah. is like oh you have potential like you are also broken you have potential and then she goes and like gets away from her uncle like she 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 like goes the, the last scene is like well not the last last scene but it's like her in a police car and the police officer comes over to her is like your uncle is here and she like doesn't move and then there's like a small like like subtle kind of like she, understandy. See, I I think that there's a will she won't she there. That's yeah, I think it's left kind scene, of open, which is the it. worst. Oh, okay. Was it, was it I think the cop starting to like. There's a. Look I thought that the cop was like kind of yeah. I, I thought the cop look, like kind of got it. And but was I want like, that confirmation given the stakes. I wanted that confirmation so badly. I yeah. just wanted her to be like, I'm gonna stay here actually or whatever. Yeah, but why is it that like she had to fucking go through a whole nother yeah. round oh, yeah. of absolutely like garbage. trauma. And then be like have this like weird like allyship with her abuser, like right. this like yes. at, like vic like victimhood shared victimhood together, and then and also like I think that we one of these articles that you uh, pass along to us, uh, Patrick, the one from The Verge, talks about you know the fact that we don't see Kevin enough. And that, like, we are, it is, like, so focused on everyone else that we don't get to see, like, Kevin. Yeah. Like, there's one like, moment. He shows Kevin up is, once. Kevin is, is mentioned. His, his, his full name is used as a safe word of sorts that the therapist says. It's like a cheat code, basically, where it's like if you say his full name, then Kevin's personality like, comes all the way forward, regardless of the identity or personality um, that is currently in the light, the one that gets to project through kevin's body and it's mm -hmm. yeah like they're like probably one of the most powerful scenes in the movie like is the brief moment you get with kevin where you get yep. an insight into like a very what could have been such a different movie um in which like split the movie with like where it's playing with pieces that there is probably a world where you you could have constructed something that was playing in a similar sandbox but came found a very different outcome but the one the one moment you get with kevin where like, you know, you have that powerful moment where he, you know, he's asked what day it is. And I don't know what year it is in Split. He thinks but it's 2014. 2014. September 2014. He was on like a bus. it's like 2016 or something. Yeah. So it's been like years since he has actually, like, you know, been, been in the light. 
but in the light. And like you can imagine a film that put Kevin at the center of it and like what does Kevin think of all this? Like in and, and, and none of that is there. And like that's where I mean, this movie is exploited for all sorts of reasons, but like the first the you know, uh, you know, especially the way it takes it into a villainous turn, but even absent that, the the lack of making Kevin a character, he's just an empty vessel for a bunch of cute little side characters that Shyamalan came up with and shoved into Kevin the is un- the the, the, uh, the understandably brilliant acting of James McAvoy. He's part of the reason this movie is able to pull a trick on you is because it is Im- almost impossible to not be blinded by McAvoy's like tremendous acting. Um, mm-hmm. And it's what blinds you often to, uh, and my guess is, you know, especially on my first viewing. And I think for lots of people who watch this movie, like they get blinded by the shiny thing in front of them, which is, you know, McAvoy switching personalities, you know, willy nilly and doing so very effectively. I think the Kevin performance is really strong. Like that moment is actually very like one of the few that really shook me out of it. And I, and I also wonder what a film that was less focused on the, the set of characters who are called the horde, which are the Patricia, um, Dennis, anyone who like Hedwig, a, a lot uh, aligned right with the beast, yeah. with any yeah the the because there are others. The there's like two factions, right? Well, it's like t- it's twenty characters. It's twenty. Mm-hmm. It's it's twenty altars, and then the three that are aligned with the beast. Mm-hmm. And we get of those other twenty, we get Barry a little bit, or mostly we get Dennis pretending to be Barry. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we get a few video clips of three or four of the others, which are just like. Yeah, I don't know that I want the movie where it's like James McAvoy, yeah, doing each one in a comic styling, like rapidly switching between them. That yeah. would also probably be bad. Um, but the but the version that gives some that that gives room for Kevin's other alters to appear and be seen as people, and also a version that is interested in whatever that abuse is and Kevin's humanity would also be useful because instead, what we get the only the, the abuse narrative that we get is is uh i've just forgot i just looked up her name and i've already forgotten it casey casey i keep want to say chloe for some maybe <laughs> one of the other girls name chloe uh casey's abuse slowly rolled out to us in just like the most intense like bit by bit here it comes is this uh, gonna be the terrible God. scene was... where is it like and in, like just cut half of those and give me a little bit of who Kevin has been in his life, yeah. and I would be in a much better place, I think, with the movie. Because it also doesn't even much, land but... her story, right? Like, I mean, that's no. also what like makes the movie so f- deeply frustrating is because the character that it does put the the cameras focus on, the scripts focus on, it doesn't serve her interest particularly well either. So it's like it the movie did it at the service of a character who probably shouldn't have been the central character by ignoring the one that probably should have been. And doesn't, you know, doesn't faithfully land that character's own personal narrative. I have to run to a meeting. Um, Yeah, we're sorry. So we're going to take a break. We're going to let Austin go. I have no big final thoughts other than what I've already said. Uh, I guess my, my big final thought is that, like, it is okay for a movie like this to not work for you. Like, it is, it is. Uh, I think it can be easy for us to sometimes I there are times that I beat myself up where I'm like, why can't I just have fun with this? Mm-hmm. But I want to be the person who was like, it's all right. Like, there are things that I let myself have fun with. Those things happen to be giant robots. And, you know, stories about war are also fucked up. And I'm here for that. I'm here to, to be dragged for that. Uh, but if you were like me, someone who can like watch a movie like this and be like, I just can't find it. That is, I can't find the audience position. That is an OK thing to have. All right, we'll take a a break, let Austin go, and we'll come back and finish up our discussion of Split. Bye-bye. Hold up. 
Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. And we're back. Um, I, I do want to uh, read a, a quote. Uh, Natalie, you had mentioned this uh, piece from uh, The Verge. It was a, a piece written by uh, Charles uh, Bromesco. And I'll name the titles and authors at the end so we can make sure we plug all the, the bits that I've been pulling from. But um, mm-hmm. in his piece, it was called uh, Split is the Latest Horror Film to Misunderstand Why Mental Illness is Terrifying. Uh, I think sort of like the relevant bit to sort of our discussion of, of Kevin there was um, – Uh, Mental illness does have its place in the horror genre, and it is scary. The feeling uh, that your brain no longer follows the commands you give it, that your senses can't be trusted, that you're at the mercy of internal forces you can't comprehend or control, it can be a nightmare sprung to life. It's a filmmaker's responsibility to keep it all in perspective and extend a grain of sympathy to affected characters, even as they slide further into their delusion. Uh, And I think this upcoming line is, like, really key to understanding, like, other films that have done this uh, both effectively and not effectively in the same movie. Mm -hmm. Um, Charles writes, uh, the world remembers Hannibal Lecter and his re, uh, refinement uh, coexisting with savagery, not Buffalo Bill, whose body dysmorphia transforms him into a snarling feral animal. One is a character, the other is a ghoul. It's possible that Shyamalan realizes this too. When Kevin briefly appears, he's a friendly figure compared to his alternative personalities. But Shyamalan's creaky dialogue and McAvoy's detached uh, stoicism in the moment make that moment ring false, more lip service than a character beat. Uh, the real Kevin seems to be a relatively normal guy, only faintly affected by his own psychosis. In that moment, all the tension and internal conflict evaporates, and any connection the audience may have had with him is instantly severed. That, uh, that moment encapsulates the trouble with Split, and with the countless films that have made the same error, before we can feel her pain, we've got to feel his um and i think that that bit like neatly summarizes like so much of what the horror genre gets wrong mm-hmm. about mental illness you know it's it's like so many things it's not that it's off the table it's just that when you invoke it especially now when we know so much you know it's there is there's no excuse anymore i mean you know there I don't know. I can't claim to 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 know the the broad understanding of mental illness when Hitchcock directed Psycho, but it was a lot different than 2016 or 2015 when this was filmed. Um, but we knew enough to not make these kinds of mistakes. Like when you're making these mistakes, it's not out of ignorance. Then then look silly upon un, a, a broader understanding of mental health. It's ignorance because you've already decided what the the end point is, and you're just looking to figure out things along the way. I think we've like kind of float, Rob, I feel like maybe you've floated this as a theory of how Shyamalan often seems to work, which is that he figures out where he wants to be. And then how he gets there is sort of the, the part that he fumbles his way through. Yeah. Uh, I, I think he tends to, and, and particularly with this movie uh, in the end, it feels like where he wants to be is a really forced reaching tie in to a previous work. Uh, which is why this, this is kind of a movie without a real twist. The twist is that it's a sequel. Mm-hmm. Uh, but as far as what the arc of this movie is, it's not really well thought out. It begins from a premise, and its end point is franchise. And the narrative, <laughs> you know, the, the narrative arc isn't very well considered, and it's why I think it ends up being 
uh, gross in in so many different places. But I have to be honest, like for me, it's less the mental illness stuff that bothers me with this film because the mental illness stuff is so patently ridiculous and is so heightened that to a degree. I feel like it buys itself a little bit of a hand-wavy excuse by being so obviously full of shit about this disorder. And that, uh, actually, a different essay point made um, made that exact point with someone who was, you know, with nothing else, was like, look, yeah, it's bad, but, like, any reasonable person is going to look at this and go, oh, it's just a, you know, it's just a movie being ridiculous. This isn't actually what these... One of his personalities can shrug off a shotgun blast because <laughs> it's just so, it's just so twisted. <laughs> uh, but I think the, the other, where, where I think that does get really complicating though, is the fact that I think we are supposed to identify and sympathize with the therapist and she is a charlatan. Like, I think we're supposed to think she's good and she, like, she, she knows what she's doing, but she is kind of patently spouting absolute hocus pocus about this disorder and as austin alluded to earlier maybe maybe this disorder is the way to unlock the full potential of the human brain she is like she is a few months away from selling like direct mail uh (laughs) videos about unlocking your inner personalities with like fucking (laughs) testimonials from kevin like that's like that is the character but i think the movie wants us to sympathize i think the movie wants to react to her almost in the way we react to the bruce willis character in the sixth sense as "Mm, what a conscientious healer well because there's the um okay natalie (laughs) yeah i just didn't want spoilers oh (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Sorry, you had a reaction that sounded like a loud noise just went through your headphones. <laughs> um, there's, yeah, Rob, there's that scene, which I think is like clearly written. It's like a very throwaway scene where the therapist is talking with a friend. They're walking like, mm-hmm. watching like the shopping network. Um, and the, the, the friend says, you know, I'm paraphrasing something along the lines like, how do you deal with those people? And she says like, well, no, like they are people. You know, like she she does like the... The checkpointy, uh, the bullet listy thing that sort of like Shyamalan does in his public facing comments of like, oh no, I'm recognizing that these are people. They are to be respected and understood. Um, and it's more, it's it's not just that you know uh, uh, they're quote unquote crazy. Like you know that's that's what that neighbor or friend is supposed to to represent. And then that exchange is supposed to get her off the hook for all the other things that she's irresponsibly perpetuating. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean it would be fine. Like I. I liked her in the beginning because she had such a genuine, you know, like, I don't know, just like the, the, there was, you know, something very real about the way that she like talked to Barry and stuff like that. And like, you know, that was the fact that she's like taking everything seriously and is like being a, helpful and that, you know, not judgmental. Barry, she's, Talking yeah, to them like yeah. they're people. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <clears throat> it's just all thrown away when you you hear the Skype conversation because she's, you know, yeah. Whenever you hear unlock the fucking phrase unlock the full human potential, <laughs> just like wa- like leave. I feel like Joe Rogan is trying to are. sell me some fucking <laughs> vitamins to to fund his podcast. <laughs> There's a secret yeah. only known through to the most powerful people in history. Alpha brain. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Do you want a gal have you seen that meme? Galaxy brain? You want that galaxy brain? 
buy my fucking protein well, shake. And this is where I, this is where I think it really does get messy. Is the reason her colleagues are treating her with skepticism isn't because they just don't understand the disorder. It kind of sounds like they do. It sounds like they understand <laughs> the clinical reality of DID, and what she mm-hmm. is saying is the superhero nonsense that this, this movie is peddling. But this mm-hmm. is where it gets really muddled and confused. She's giving this like talk to this uh, like psychology conference in France over Skype, uh, which I guess I think is still kind of implying that she's kind of fringe, so she's not really... Yeah, I didn't understand. Skype. She you was, didn't get invited. Like, yeah, you didn't she pay like, for your travel. <laughs> they were like, okay, you're going to have your own panel. And then they were like... And then there was a another conversation where like actually you're going to be on someone else's and then she just was on the skype call which like that <laughs> that through line just made no fucking sense to me i was like wait so are you being inner like i don't understand is this the panel like it just made no sense right and but- they treat her and and they treat her with skepticism because she's claiming oh yeah uh one of one of the personalities is diabetic and the others aren't just completely different physiological physiological uh you know the symptoms and, and realities for for these different personalities they're completely different people and the skepticism of the colleagues is we like is that how we understand this disorder to work because it doesn't sound like it and that's where it gets muddled she is at one once she is at once the voice of compassion and understanding for people with DID but mm-hmm. at the same time she's also the person saying magic is real and that and then you have as a foil for her more like you have psychologists who inhabit the real world that behaves according to actual like clinical <laughs> rules and uh procedures and they are set up as the people who don't get it they are set up as the people who are wrong and i think that's where it gets really muddled with this, but at a certain point, I am comfortable to start throwing up my hands and saying, look, this was a device to let McAvoy throw this movie on his shoulders and just chew scenery uh, from from beginning to end uh, to get us through it. Where the movie loses me from the beginning is all its gender politics, all its uh portrayals and depictions and attitudes towards sexual violence and Mm -hmm. the way that value and worth is assigned to the trio of young women who are abducted in this Mm -hmm. film really bothered me and it starts and it starts going wrong fast like it's not that the like the the movie comes to a bad ending with that stuff Mm -hmm. but pretty much jump it's off did you guys watch the alternate ending no. What's so the alternate ending? There's uh, a 20 second alternate ending um, that M. Night, though the version that I watched had like a, a tiny little interview uh, with M. Night at the beginning um, where he says, you know, I had this alternate ending and I just like, uh, like, this is the original one and I just didn't know where to put it. I didn't know where to put it and then it just didn't fit. So I took it out, but I still want to show it to you. So it's at the end of the movie. And then the alternate ending goes it's McAvoy uh uh as I think as Hedwig um I'm not sure or I don't remember which altar it was but it's McAvoy sitting on like a rooftop uh on like one side of the street and across the street is like an all-girls school 
and he's just staring at them and he was like look i forget what he calls them like look at all the impure what is he he's like the like impure he does use the term impure like at a different point in the movie or something. Yeah, yeah. I forget lines. what yeah. he calls, like, specifically the girls that he, like, wants for a sacrifice, which are, like, meant to fuel the beast or some shit. Um, yeah, none of the, lo- like, that, none of that logic is laid out it in the movie It makes no fucking all. sense. Like, yeah. it's, it's, even in, even in the, even if you were to, like, brush aside, like, it, the hyperbole of the film for dramatic purposes, like, it doesn't follow, like, an internal logic that makes you go, all right, well, that's bullshit, but, yeah. It makes sense by the on the movie zone. Terms. Yeah, like, yeah. The movie doesn't like properly establish like what is the why did the beast need these three women? If it was yeah. because th- the three of them are like had been identified as broken, right? Like like no, like, it's oh, the broken. It's like ones. he he happens to find out that 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 um uh uh, uh the Claire is is Casey is Casey <laughs> Claire <laughs> Chloe Chloe Claire Casey. <laughs> Casey. That like he finds that out by accident at the end. So then, what the yeah. fuck was he doing with these women in the first place? It's like, I, is it just that the, it's like young virginal sacrifice? That means their blood and meat is like better. I, like I that's not even he, spelled out in the movie, right? Like that's yeah. he doesn't even like lay out that like that's the perverted. And plus, I the think beast isn't even to, the one with the perverted uh, uh, sexual fetish. Like that's uh, that's Dennis. Dennis, right? Dennis so, likes just, to watch girls dance naked. Um. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think it was, and I could be wrong, but I think it was that they're impure and unbroken. So they are like impure in some sense, and also have not been like broken or whatever. So he's si- sitting on this fucking rooftop. It's like a ten. It's like a fifteen second scene, which is just like okay, fuck off. But he's sitting there, and he's like, look at all these like impure, unbroken, you know girls like the potential or like something along the lines of like look at all this like material that we can use to make ourselves stronger and that's the end that's it and it's like what is the fucking perp like what like knowing that like that was m night Shyamalan's like original ending to the movie and like that's like what he wanted that's like where he wanted that uh uh mcavoy to end on is like this like new journey of like and god we'll talk about glass in a week but (laughs) you really uh, want to talk about glass? it's so fucked dude (laughs) it gets it gets so much worse it gets so much worse like you have Mm. no idea how much worse it gets it gets so much worse and 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 yeah i just the the feeling that when it comes down to i just it's like fucking irresponsible like this just feels like a half-assed like not thought out just throw it just like being like okay i'm gonna rely on mcavoy's like acting abilities like acting chops to just like deliver that these characters well and and yeah and what you said rob about like starting with like a premise and an ending and then just filling in it just feels like it just feels so fucking messy and and unclear and then irresponsible like the the literal plot and logic is unclear and messy and then the premise and and what it's doing and what it's saying is fucking irresponsible and that's just so frustrating 
And it starts um, to go wrong from the start. Like, so, like, I think my understanding of this is that the some of the personalities are performing basically a summoning ritual to bring the beast about, uh, which is why you have a scene with them getting the flowers and going to the train yard where the beast supposedly lives because of childhood trauma. Who the hell knows? Uh, but the entire thing is about bringing the beast, uh, which is why you have... Um, oh gosh, whatever the, uh, sort of evil Mary Poppins personality, uh, you know, uh, uh, Patricia, Miss um, Patricia. Patricia. Yeah. Miss, Miss Patricia, uh, which is why you have her talking about you are, you are sacred food. Uh, but the, where it starts to go wrong for me is right after the girls are abducted, they wake up in this underground prison basically Mm -hmm. and the threat of sexual violence is like probably at its greatest height like right in the scene because they literally have no idea what's going on Mm -hmm. and they are talking about what they should do when he comes in the next time you know should they should they jump him should they fight they need to they need to fight back and where this but that is preceded by one of the women Say basically blaming herself for even getting abducted in the first place. We were such we were such victims. We didn't do anything. We were, uh, you know, we we just sort of sat there uh, because I don't remember what the just, justification was in that scene. But it was this sort of uh, self blaming um, attitude, which I don't think is necessarily a bad thing to voice in this in this film. The show character having that feeling of recrimination, but where it gets weird for me is that I think we're supposed to like sort of identify with Casey as she's both the point of view character, but also she's kind of the smart one, right? Like she's the, she's the character who is going to get us out of this and she's going to figure this out. And what she tells the girls is basically, basically like shut the hell up. Uh, We're not going to do shit until we have a plan. We don't have a plan. It's not worth trying to do anything. So, you guys, you get, you guys are dummies. Uh, we're gonna, we're gonna wait, and we're gonna pause, and and we're going to figure this stuff out. And the other girls don't want to go with that, and they keep trying to make these like uh, really desperate escape attempts. And each time they're punished. Well, I, you know, I think, uh, and also, uh, you know, this character, you know, Casey is also one of the other magic tricks of the film. In the same way that McAvoy's acting is like. The, the actress, uh, Anya Taylor-Joy, who is also tremendous in a, a horror film called The Witch from uh, a couple, like, three or four years back, which is how she got into this film. Uh, Shyamalan saw her in that. Um, she's just really good at being understated. Empo- like, she's a very empowering presence, despite how uh, young she looks. And she's hypnotizing in the same way that that McAvoy can be. And, like, that is what, like, this movie hangs itself on, are, like, very close, tight shots of both of these characters in which mm-hmm. you end up believing in you know, or just or just awestruck by them because they become compelling as shoot through sheer acting. And it often is used as, as a way of allowing you to kind of like not pay so much attention to like, does this make sense? Is this logical? This mm-hmm. is this going somewhere, but you're just compelled by the sheer acting ability of like both, both of these presences in the film, which is why often when either of them are talking, it's a very tight shot on both of their faces. Like this movie, more than any other Shyamalan film, especially relative to Unbreakable, is very much about the camera being as close as possible to to the characters, especially 
uh, these two. Is this something else that's going wrong with this movie a little bit? Is that there's just too much shit in it? Like, I think those scenes do tend to be some of the strongest in the film where Casey and Kevin's different personalities, where Casey's trying to figure out who she's dealing with, how to what the leverage points are, how to handle them. Those scenes tend to be effective. Uh, the the scene there's such it's such a weird scene but there's so much suspense in it when she convinces uh the most childlike of the personalities Hedwig, Hedwig uh mm. to take her to his room and uh show show her his his special toy uh which turns out to be a radio and the and the lifeline to the to the outside world but it's such a weird scene it's intense um and those scenes tend to work but the problem, the movie I kept comparing this to is 10 Cloverfield Lane. Mm-hmm. But 10 Cloverfield Lane knows exactly what's it about, what, it, what it's about. 10 Cloverfield Lane is pared down. It is about basically three characters, eventually like two characters, basically, kind of, uh, all trying to figure, like, the, the protagonist in that film, I forget her name, is trying to figure out what she's dealing with and how she can what what she can trust and and how she can safely make her escape without alerting her possible captor to the fact that she's gotten wise to to the danger he poses. That, it's, it's both both movies are unreliable like characters, and it's like what how do you find leverage with an unreliable character? But that movie keeps its focus on that. The movie is only that. And it attempts a similar thing to Split, which is like, oh, we're going to, you know, it's going to be sort of like a bottle episode of a television show. Where it's mm-hmm. like, it's going to be more or less one location. And we're going to confine that so that it's about, it's, you know, the, the, the conceit being, oh, it's about the characters. But like Split just loses, loses that constantly in favor of world building, what eventually goes to franchise building, and also just losing the, the, what these characters are or could be. Because, yeah, I didn't even think of it, but yeah, 10 Cloverfield Lane is like, if you want to see... A version of what Split is going for it has nothing to do with you know uh, a DAD or anything like that. But like in, ter- in terms of like cinematic genre, like <laughs> Cofield Lane is like the the better the much better version of that, right? Because mm-hmm. it's not detouring out to these. Every time we have those therapy scenes, um, it just it, nothing ever happens in them. It's yeah. it's yet another scene where James McAvoy chews some scenery. The therapist gets the sense that something is going on, but doesn't put the pieces together. I think there's at least two, there might be three separate scenes where that dynamic plays out. And then we go back to uh, the torture, uh, the, the, the torture dungeon. And we resume sort of that, that, that tense uh, d- dynamic. And then the other problem is because the focus is already diluted, the other two girls in the film uh, and I literally can't remember the characters' names, but the the other two women are basically relegated to the role of spares in, in the yeah. uh, in, <laughs> in according the... to IMDb. Uh, so one of them, uh, the blonde girl, uh, is Claire uh, Benoit, and um, uh, Jessica, uh, or that's the actress' name. Sorry, um, Mar- Marcia, the the, uh, the black girl, doesn't even get a last name in the script. And the <laughs> so thing like is... that that tells you a lot about. Where those characters are valued in this is like the white girl gets the last name, eh? Not her. Well, mm. and and the other weird thing is the movie does seem to have this idea of um, I don't know this this weird judgment about what you're supposed to do when you're victimized, what you, what you should do, but it also doesn't actually seem to have any kind of like 
notion about what it means for the answer to be or how you should process that. Like, let's see. The two other girls make several pretty courageous attempts to bust out and are basically like fighting till the end to mm-hmm. escape this nightmare. Doesn't matter. Um, one of them is still killed in this really uh, implicitly gory psychosexual cannibal cannibalism scene. Uh, that mm-hmm. is gross as hell, both, you know, kind of, it's kind of queasy, but also just thematically it's mm-hmm. gross as hell. Uh, but she's also the only one that loses her pants, right? Uh, I think they all lose their pants. Uh, uh, <laughs> I think everybody Marcia, is. I think Marcia uh, doesn't have pants on. Yeah, anyway, and then sorry. No, I thought it was Marcia doesn't have pants on, and then all everyone loses their top. The other point. one loses the top. Yeah, but even uh, Casey loses her top by the end of the film. Yeah, but like, but when she's, when Hedwig she's is like, you have cell. so many. Is there? There's a point where Hedwig's like, you have so many shirts. Like <laughs> Dennis says that you have you have the most shirts, and I guess she's like lost a sweater and then like an overshirt and then now she's like down to her undershirt which just fuck off oh god well, i don't know so but then the other thing that that Casey is haunted by i mm-hmm. guess is the sense that she didn't react well as a little girl to when she was assaulted by her uncle and there's a scene we revisit uh, mm-hmm. And the the uncle is played by uh, Brad William Henke, who, if you're a Sports Night fan, uh, played the creep on uh, Sports Night, Christian Patrick, uh, the star football player who attacks uh, the intrepid reporter uh, Natalie. And Hi. this dude has made a career actor of being kind of a sinister meathead. Uh, is is the role he plays? He's the uncle here. Everyone's got to find their place. Yeah. Man. Uh, so yeah, he's the outwardly, outwardly friendly seeming, uh, charismatic big dude who secretly is a rotten piece of shit. That's a character he plays a lot. Anyway, um, I think he might've also have been Cush in, uh, in Jerry Maguire. But anyway, um, so at one point, young Casey has this guy at shotgun point after he's attacked her, I think for the first time and she mm-hmm. doesn't know what to do and she has a chance to she's like ready to pull and she's, she's just like yeah she, she has like, her, her fingers on the trigger she's not like and she like knows what the fuck she's doing because like her dad and her uncle have taken her hunting presumably like since forever yeah um and and she seems to like she's traumatized by that but she revisits that moment of not killing this guy uh you know, as a little girl, basically, when she had the chance. And later, her father passes away, and she's kind of entrusted to this uh, predator's care. But that's one of the issues this film is working through, and it implied there is the sense that Casey feels like she did something wrong. This is all somehow her fault. Um, I don't know. There's just so many places where either openly the, the script is sort of musing about what you're supposed to do, what you should do uh, mm-hmm. in a situation like this, or the 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 implied meaning of scenes is revisiting this question of blame and culpability in one's own assault and victimization and the movie is so fixated on that but also so muddled in what its meanings are that that's where the movie really started to piss me off uh because mm-hmm. it's playing the, this is heavy stuff and Shyamalan is just kind of 
<laughs> trying to juggle all you know juggle all these themes and doing it badly uh and treating it very casually and that's that's yeah. probably what grossed me out the most yeah i mean the answer is to ally with your kidnapper right like she she gets a hold of the radio and like makes contact with someone and he's like oh it's betty like playing tricks on us again it's like this is the voice of a fucking young girl like it just it's so unbelievable it's so just the fact that you know a security guard wouldn't it's just it like it it just feels so forced and the fact that like casey casey and the other girls are just forced into this fate like just like pushed into it and there's no other way they're getting out of there is just there's no you know all every possibility just felt like a, a dead end in a way that like didn't feel genuine um it felt like it was set up to to fail from the get-go yeah and you know the, the you know to, to your point robin alley about the movie sort of muddled messages like it's also you know juggling these themes of like well what do you do with your own personal trauma and like the movie doesn't have an answer on that like i'm sympathetic as someone that has you know thought through you know how i've dealt mm-hmm. with you know things like my father passing and stuff like that where i've had like major moments of trauma in in my life i agree with the notion that you can use moments of personal trauma to have a better understanding of yourself and come out the other side of that better understanding who you are and what you're capable of i absolutely think that is something that came out the other end of losing my father i'd rather my father was still around than having gone through that but i understand the notion of one way of using and working through trauma is personal discovery but like that's not where this movie lands and everyone deals with trauma different ways and i'm not saying my way is is the way but like the movie doesn't have a message on like what you do one it treats like trauma as only the most extreme version of it being like uh predatory child sexual abuse and then doesn't run the scale there at all like that's would have been an example for the other girls to have been able to what is trauma like what are the different layers of that what are the different scales of that and then also how do you work through that because the the movie ends with basically saying i don't know turn it into a superpower and it's like okay like better understanding my emotions because my dad died of a heart attack at 56 does not feel like a fucking superpower like Mm -hmm. i'm glad that i have a better understanding of myself like it ain't a superpower Mm -hmm. and that's like a hugely muddled part about this movie where i just like okay like if if you wanted to bring up trauma to convey a message of like positivity and understanding about how one can deal with trauma, like this movie doesn't it doesn't come out of that. It doesn't come out with a message on that. It's just like it's, you're just left with ah. Like it almost <laughs> endorses Ke- like uh, Kevin Beast's like fucked up worldview where yeah you know I guess should people- I just say fuck it. Whatever. People who have gone through <laughs> shit, that's that's when you become a fully realized person. The bad things yep. that happen to you make you a real person. And other people... And they're the only things that matter. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and, and will give you power to inflict harm on other people. Like, it's not like he had some sort of self-realization and then, like, you know, Kevin comes out stronger. Or 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 any of his altars that you know are functioning altars in society. Barry has like kept a job for ten years, and and that's possible for you know um, people with DID, um, as one of the article uh, states. But yeah, it's like 
it's like being broken, being hurt, having past, you know, uh, experiences of trauma are, are, are fuel to uh, enact further harm like on on those who on people around you and like that just that does not land for me like as someone who you know um has experienced sexual assault and as someone who's been uh through a relationship of abusive relationship like that is not like that's not my story like if you're gonna fucking tell a story of of you know overcoming you know like survivorship first of all we don't fucking say victimhood anymore we're like we're not victims we're like we're the survivors and like i i could have seen and 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 casey she is a survivor in the sense that she makes it to the end and i fear that you know this movie did not give her like her credit for like everything that she's been through and that was the most disappointing thing and and same for 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 Kevin because Kevin also you know and and there and one of the articles talks about you know that this is this is like a method of protection protection that like after repeated abuse the the psyche splits um in in an effort to protect itself and and that that the idea of protection in in the altars that they are concerned about protection um is is one that that is present in 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 real life and with people with DID and i just i i guess you sort of have like the two the two versions of protecting oneself uh after after um you know going through trauma and I'm just like not happy with with the bad version, I guess. It just there is a bad version that is that is about Kevin fighting for himself and and, you know, or the other alters fighting for 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 themselves and, you know, fighting against the horde or whatever. But even that, I just I don't know how to fucking make this a good movie. <laughs> like straight up, I don't know how. Like I certainly don't know. not from him, right? Like I don't yeah. think we've seen a lot of examples of him being able to. There's a lot of things that M Night is good at, but playing with uh, themes of sexual violence, sexual predator, like the, you know, even just between Unbreakable and this movie, it's like okay, dude, like recognize this ain't it. For you, a lot of things you can make a movie about. So the thing is, uh, one, like where I end up with Split is I feel like its whole attitude toward abuse and trauma uh, and the effect that has on people is very much, man, he just just made the subtext text. It is a very like hack screenwriter uh, approach of, yeah, but wow, what experiences you have now? wow, like think about all the stuff like you can you can write what you know uh, and mm-hmm. just just imagine how how uh, much more uh, depth and uh, of feeling uh, that you have compared to people who don't have these experiences. And that's where this this movie ends up uh, and it's incredibly like schlocky and exploitative to kind of make that like the literal text of the film. Uh, but the the other part of this is, his movies borrow a lot of trappings from psychological thrillers because he is influenced so much by Hitchcock. But he actually 
his tricks are fundamentally ones of like narrative elision. They're tricks that you've pulled off through editing, through other you know filmmaking techniques, where you have uh, allowed the audience to fall into a misunderstanding of what is actually happening in a film. This is his most successful films tend to follow these patterns, but they're fundamentally not about the inner life of his characters because his characters are really just archetypes who are meant to go through this journey. And then the trick is sort of revealed at the end. He's a lot like Christopher Nolan uh, in this way, in terms of uh, he's, he's using a lot of, a lot of uh, technical skill and uh, paying a lot of homage to classic films to bring you with him on a journey and get away with a story that gives you the illusion of development and growth without having humanity. Yeah. Without having characters capable of it. The problem (laughs) that I really see in split is that this is a movie that's, it's his attempt to write a character driven story and he doesn't know what to do with it. And so we end up with this complete hash of messages and a movie that maybe ends up endorsing the uh, predator's perspective on humanity and also ends up endorsing this view that like, you know, there's, there's a right way uh, to, uh, to, to, you know, be approach an experience that where, where you're made a victim and a wrong way. Uh, that's where this movie ends up. And I think this, this tends to stem from the fact that, this is not the kind of story that Shyamalan is very good at telling. And there's, he gives himself no out. There's no, there's no sort of, you know, surprise reveal of what's been actually happening in this film, except the fact it's a franchise. Everything else is basically there on the page. The characters coming to realizations is the characters having uh, reactions. And those are bad. And they reveal really unhealthy and insensitive thinking about, Pretty much every topic this film considers. What a fucking selfish twist. Like the fact that the twist is I'm going to make another movie about my sh- like about my world. Yeah. Like, it's just, you know, it's like, OK, <laughs> go off, I guess. Like, <laughs> I don't know. I, I couldn't help but laugh that I didn't put this together at the time when I had seen Split because I hadn't seen Unbreakable. So like I understood what was happening in the the scene, you know, that connects everything, but it didn't land the same way because I just didn't have the personal connection to Unbreakable. But the fact that when we were discussed Unbreakable last week and we were making fun of like the schlocky music that like comes in um, <laughs> towards the end and like the final scene is the music that signals like when it says split at the end, it comes in with that beat that is that schlocky music <laughs> from Unbreakable, and that's the first sign um, if like you're aware of the 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 um, the music to that film that. Uh, maybe there's something. I also uh, love the cops catch this guy, and they're immediately like, uh, "Members of the media, we need to tell you that uh, we're calling this guy the Horde because um, he's <laughs> yeah. fucking awesome." Uh, those of us in the in the in the homicide department, we've never seen anything like this. He has so many personalities; they're all cool. Uh, they all just really fill the space. Um, and so we are. How do they land on the same name as the name that's already he chose referenced- it? Yeah, actually, I never, I didn't think about that. That makes no fucking sense. Uh, yeah, yeah officer, um, I'm the, we're, we're the horde. 
Oh shit, that's awesome. Okay, cool. Uh, do you prefer like uh, singular or plural Ms. pronouns? Mr. Horn? Yeah. Mrs. Like, what's what's your? How would you like us to refer to you? Because uh, we're we're going to make you famous. Nonsense. Uh, apparently, uh, Hawking Phoenix was supposed to be the main character in this. At the last second, James McAvoy became uh, wow the lead actor. Try to imagine this film with. Uh, I mean, Hawking Phoenix also a dude that knows how to. True scenery in a film, but man, what a different movie that would have been! Yeah, um, totally. Rob was so offended by that piece of trivia that he, <laughs> if he got up and left, he was like, "Nah, fuck this." He's got strong feelings on Hawking Phoenix, I, I guess. guess. <laughs> also, Sterling K. Brown was in this film and then just cut. Just really like, okay. Yeah, so Sterling K. Brown p- played Professor Shaw, uh, and although his part was completely cut from the film, his scenes appear on the DVD in the deleted scenes section sure why not um i want to shout out all the pieces we have referenced i did not do a great job of making sure we connected authors and uh, ways people can uh, check all those out um so there is uh uh from the verge uh split is the latest horror film to misunderstand why mental illness is terrifying by uh, charles bromesco um, that's a great is, piece uh, just about like uh how mental illness can be used in horror like effectively um, that was like super uh, informative for me, and just like how I view that trope in general. So yeah, it does. Highly and, recommend. It does a, yeah, you're, you're totally right. Does a good job of showing like there are bad ways and good ways to use anything. Like it's often people say like, ah, oh, you shouldn't use you know uh, sexual violence in horror films. Well, it's like people say that because they don't it's you don't know how to so fucking poorly, do it. You're yeah. doing it so bad, and so this movie that article does a really great job of like, all right, take something that on its face a lot of people would say don't do it. It's like, okay, if you were to do it, how do you find the humanity in that? And, you know, that's something that the split doesn't do. Mm-hmm. Um, there's uh, from The Nerdist, uh, M. Night Shyamalan and Split, cast on Representation Controversy by Christy Puchko. Um, there is uh, from uh, The Mighty, uh, Watching Split as a Person with Disassociative Identity Disorder by Chris Alter. And let me pull up the last one. Also on The Mighty. Yes, also on the mighty. Uh, uh, what the come on, load. What the movie uh, split got right and wrong uh, by Tanya J. Peterson. Um, those are all like really good uh, essays. If you want um, some sort of critical analysis, focusing on what ended up being sort of our main way of talking this way. This is a movie where it, it felt like it made more sense just to talk about it holistically than going beat by beat because I think we would have just ended up coming back to all of this uh, anyway. So. Um, that's going to do it for our uh, discussion of Split. Uh, if uh, you want to be here for the uh, conclusion of uh, our our trilogy of criticisms, uh, we're going to talk about uh, Glass um, next. So that came out uh, last weekend. So everyone will have two weekends. Even I, I think I'm going to be able to see it this Thursday. We'll have a chance to see it. So um, if you want to hear us do a spoiler discussion of Glass and sort of bring this trilogy to an end, uh, make sure uh, you check that out. Um, our thanks to Tumelo for our theme music. Uh, you can find out more about uh, Tumelo and all uh, of the good stuff that Tumelo is up to at tumelomakes.bandcamp.com. It's the number two. Uh, and follow uh, him at, at @mellowmakes on Twitter. Uh, you can keep up with all of us at waypoint.vice.com. Uh, you can find me at Patrick Klubik. Natalie, where can people find you? Uh, at Natalie Watson, waiting for this hellscape to be over. Is, again, are you referencing Kingdom Hearts? Is the Hellscape like no. one of? Is that the mobile game? No, the Hellscape is uh, 
the Metro North trilogy. What's it called? Oh, um, Sala <laughs> uh, Heroes. Oh, right. Okay. Um, and no, the Kingdom Hearts is a dreamscape. So just know that That's I'm true. in yeah, another fair. Okay. World. There you go. There you go. Uh, Rob, what about you? At Rob Zachney. Uh, if you are listening to this podcast, that means you are on the new feed. Um, Congrats. We would appreciate Yeah, good job. You made it over. Uh, that's harder than it looks, you know? A lot of people just leave those podcasts behind. So uh, please, uh, if you could rate and review, uh, tell other folks um, that this is on the new feed. Um, we realize that takes some time for everyone to get up to speed. So um, any reviews, any ratings on whatever service you're using. No, only the good ones. Yeah, only good ones. <laughs> Maximum, minimum, three stars. Even if you just think we're okay, that's I'll take a three star. But like, no two stars. Come on. Twos or ones, just leave me alone. Leave me alone. <laughs> um, right. All right. So we're gonna be back for uh, glass uh, next week. Uh, we'll see y'all then. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. How's it going? How's it going, Rob? It's going good. It's going pretty good. How's it going? How's it going, Austin? This isn't a good bit, Natalie. (laughs) I appreciate the hustle. I respect. This is just for me. This is not not a bit. This is just pleasure. Happens sometimes. Gotcha. Do you know that feel when you just want to sing your words instead of? (laughs) I, well, I was was going to say extremely do not, but then I remember a story from when I was... When did Newsies come out on Disney, the Disney Channel? The Di- Newsies. A long time ago. Um, I saw Newsies. Well, that's not right. <laughs> not to- 1992, so I was seven. Um, that's about right. And I loved Newsies so much that when my friend Alex came to hang out, I wrote a note and put it up against my window so that he could read it. And it was like, we can't hang out today. My mom is sick. I have to take care of my mom. And also... I we if even if we did hang out we couldn't talk because all I do is sing now. I'm only singing for the rest of my life. I wrote this out on a piece of like ripped out notebook paper and there was a drawing of me as a newsie. That's actually it was really a good. terrible drawing. <laughs> I genuinely thought you were gonna say the last time Christian Bale was any good. <laughs> Christian Bale's in i don't remember i think he's the lead i haven't seen this movie in probably 20 years wow how are we doing oh what's up patrick say something could you turn pat down a little bit thank you
when I was in high school, it was like a thing. Like newsies. No, Musicals. singing. Clap. All right, like when when we when we would do <clears throat> stuff. No, we would just sing random words. Thirty. Like, well, hold on. Thirty-five. I don't want to do my homework today. That was like an example of what we would do. Very great. We okay. all clappy. Okay. That's clappy. <laughs> I hate thanks. I hate it. All right. I'm ready to I go. got one. I got uh-huh. one. Hey, it looks like you're about to record a podcast. <laughs> uh, okay, doke. Uh, all right. Well, at, tw- at 12, we'll, uh, we'll take a break. Take a break. Austin bounce, yeah. and then we'll finish up with where we got. So, um, Austin, if there are things you want to get to that we don't get to oh, before then, just make sure and give us a heads up so we can give you a, a last word before we will do. Get out. Yep. Uh, uh, last time I was in here, uh, came in and took three chugs from that whiskey bottle and left. Great. Good. What? What kind of whiskey? Dickies. Dickle. Dickle. <laughs> Dickle? Let's start this podcast. BRB. I know a lot. Who gets something never over heard there? Of Dickle. Yeah. Uh, it's a bourbon, I think it's... It's a Tennessee... Not... Sounds like a bourbon. Yeah. Sour mash? It could say sour mash. I can't read from here. I don't have my glasses on. Tennessee whiskey or Tennessee sour mash? Rob, I bought I a, a sour I bought mash. A, I bought a 10-year whiskey from Trader Joe's for $23. They make their own whiskey? Mmm. Wow. Going oh. from Kirkland to Trader Joe's? Dickel is spelled differently than I thought. How do you think... <laughs> It was just a little dickle. I put the elf before the E. Yeah. Where do the dickles fit into do. the Kingdom Hearts lore? It's a decal. <laughs> We've got to do this podcast. Okay. All right. Uh, th- oh, I didn't, Three? I lost, do you want me to count I, you? I lost, you? No, I lost my document. I got it now. Saw uh, we about that. A random man walked in here and looked, and he had a hammer, and it was actually kind of scary, but. He looked, he was like re- very old and scratchy. I saw, I, we saw him come in. Oh, okay. <laughs> but he just had a hammer in his hand and like came in and just like looked around. You talk left. shit about Split? I love that movie. <laughs> M. Night's a genius. <clears throat> God, that was my boyfriend. <laughs> oh, no. M. Night? Uh, nope. I would, nope. No. <laughs> uh, okay. We'll, uh, we'll come Let's back go. in. All right.